and welcome to What a Movie, an occasional podcast where two medieval scholars sit through movies about the Middle Ages and talk about them. I'm Andy. And I'm John. And this is our newest project, sort of a side project from our Saga Thing podcast. That's right. And it's called What a Movie, which is a clever title that plays with the old English word what, which you'll find at the beginning of Beowulf. Mm -hmm. And as all of you know, what means something like listen or behold. So what a movie. Uh, It also sounds very cleverly like what a movie. So (laughs) so it's a a genius title, if you ask me. And it's a it's a fun project for John and I to blow off some steam and, and get a little silly. Yeah. And to live the dream of being pedantic medievalists with opinions about pop culture. It's a small dream, everyone, but it's ours. You know, if I had a quarter for every time someone has told me we should do a podcast about medieval movies, I would have exactly 25 cents. <laughs> and since that was you, I'm pretty sure you owe me two bits. Uh, I'm not paying you anything for this. And to be fair, I believe <laughs> that some of our listeners have occasionally mentioned that it would be fun to hear us talk about Uh, medieval movies so here we are we're going to give it a shot they were being kind Uh, andy (laughs) i said a few listeners so you could have like 50 cents 75 maybe something like that sure sure but um john and i we've been watching medieval movies for quite a long time for obvious reasons and Mm -hmm. we've long talked about doing a podcast on movies of the middle ages Uh, that is not movies that were made in the middle ages of course but movies uh, (laughs) set in the middle ages (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right long murals <laughs> yes you wait for our bayou tapestry episode you're going to love it you just you just run past them at speed <laughs> yeah so um john uh why didn't we do this sooner well we didn't do it sooner because of time andy oh, we don't have that's, any that's correct yeah uh we also have the problem that uh well in our main podcast we're one of only a very few shows talking about icelandic mm-hmm. literature in a long form that's format right. But middle-aged white guys with opinions about movies is not a low-supply commodity. (laughs) Well, uh, saturated markets aside, we are bringing you this, our first episode of what will be a series that will go up whenever we're both free to watch a movie and then chat about it. And we're very excited to do it. Yeah, and this is going to be significantly less formal than Saga Thing, if you can imagine that. (laughs) It's, It's a way for us to make time to sit around and armchair analyze movies about medieval stories and the Middle Ages. Our mandate there is pretty broad, so we'll be mm-hmm. bringing you pretty much whatever we decide to watch. Uh, maybe you'll know some of the films already, but I hope we'll introduce you to some hidden gems as well. Yeah, and we'll be talking about good movies and bad ones, uh, with depictions of the medieval world running the range of totally inaccurate to marginally less inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's going to be quite a ride. Yes, and being us, we've decided to go big on our first episode, our first series of What a Movie. Uh, So we're going to start (laughs) with the movies that have been made about Beowulf. And there are a good handful of them. So many Beowulves. And uh, we're starting with one of the odder ones. Yes, we are. This is the 1999 film Beowulf, starring Christopher Lambert, Rona Mitra, and Mac from Night Court. The, the Highlander takes on Grendel. Very nice. You see, no, see, that would be a good film. <laughs> Instead, we have this. To be fair, John, is it not The Highlander takes on Grendel? I mean, <laughs> he's not actually the Highlander in this film. Is- Although he does have a very similar sword. A similar behavior, similar kind of like yeah. 
Well, it's the same actor, so... <laughs> Doing the same exact thing. Yes. Okay, then. So it's pretty the Highlander takes on Grendel. Different color hair. <laughs> yes. His hair is very much different color. So 1999 is when this film came out. Uh, yeah. That's a good year. It's uh, the year I got married. Is it? Oh, my gosh. The year I went off to the Peace Corps. It's the year I graduated from college. It's quite a year. There you go. And it was the year Beowulf was released. Uh, it's a film directed by Graham Baker. It stars uh, Christopher Lambert as Beowulf. Uh, Oliver Cotton as Hrothgar. Vincent Hammond as Grendel. And Layla Roberts as Grendel's mother. And as of recording this in August of 2023, it has a Rotten Tomato critic score of zero. Of zero. Well, that's just because... Zero percent. That's just because nobody's watched it. <laughs> well, I mean, some people have watched it because the fans have been slightly kinder. They gave it a relatively lofty 23%. Well, that's pretty good. Um, any uh, notable quotes from Rotten Tomatoes that you want to throw at us? Oh, uh, well, there is... <laughs> I've been trying to think about how mean we want to get be to start off with. Oh, uh, I think everyone knows uh, <laughs> if they, you know, take uh, listener, take just a moment, uh, go and look up the poster for uh, 1999 mm-hmm. Beowulf if you haven't seen it before, and uh, you'll know all you need to know. Right. Uh, the critic uh, Danelle Griffin said uh, there are moments that seem so absurd and outlandish that we wonder if the writers have even read the poem. <laughs> I could say the writers definitely read the poem. Yeah, no, I agree. As, a, I agree. as an I actually expert on Beowulf, there's... I can tell you they read it. Oh. They just forgot That's true. You're a it. published expert on Beowulf. I've never actually published on Beowulf. Well, well, well. Not, not that important. What is important is they read the poem. Is it a good film? Well, that's what we're here to decide, John. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, right off the bat, let's deal with the fact that this movie did not do very well. No. Uh, it was it was made for a budget of it's actually a bit of a controversy. Christopher Lambert claimed after the fact he was told the budget the film had a budget of twenty five million dollars. I find that uh, hard to believe. Which, I mean, in 1999, that would have been a very respectable sum of money to make a movie with. Hey, John, uh, the actual film. Yes. Um, I just want to point out in terms of yep. the budget and how I know it's it's low budget aside from the effects and things like that. Besides every single frame when they are eating dinner in whatever mm-hmm. the Hayrot castle, the steampunk Hayrot yep. is. Yep. Um, did you notice what they're eating out of? Yes. Um, aluminum foil tins. <laughs> yes, aluminum foil. <laughs> that look like, like those baking tins you would exactly. use to make like a banana. It's almost bread. as if they decided we need to have a, like an eating scene. We're just going to take the stuff over at craft yep. services or whatever <laughs> caterers they had, if they had any, and then brought them onto set. And we're like, it looks like tinfoil t- yep. little uh, boxes that we're eating out of. That's perfect. Yep. It fits the theme. And that that pretty much sums up the way this film went. <laughs> um, Lambert claims that after he'd signed on that they uh, it turned out the budget was about a tenth of what he'd been promised. Mm. The entire film was made for three point five million dollars. Uh, you said it, and originally uh, it was twenty five million was the promise. Yeah, but it was made for three point five million. Three point five, uh, and you can see every penny of that on the craft service table. Yes, you can. My goodness. <laughs> uh, and just to give you some context for that, uh, the most expensive film released in nineteen ninety nine was two hundred million dollars. And that was the Wild Wild West debacle starring Will Smith. John, there's no way. Because I happen to know that uh, Phantom Menace also came out 
1999. Um, Less than 200 million. In fact, my friends and I, uh, uh, we all got together right before I got married. They came up to Tallahassee mm-hmm. to see me. And uh, we went and saw Phantom Menace together and were deeply disappointed by it. Um, <laughs> and we're, we're scarred to this day from that memory. And you're telling me Fan- Phantom Menace had a smaller yep. budget than Wild Wild West? Phantom Menace was made for $115 million. So, little more than half a Wild Wild West. <laughs> John, here's a, here's a good question. I know this isn't on topic yeah. with Beowulf, but if you had to watch one of those two films again, Wild Wild West <laughs> or Phantom Menace, which one, and I know you love oh, Star boy. Wars, but which one of those two films would you watch again? I mean, my memory of Wild Wild West is not, clear at this point but i do recall even 1999 thinking that it was pretty horrifically racist and ableist and a bunch of other ists and also just not funny i don't remember all the Um, ists in there Uh, what i do remember is it wasn't good yeah it was actually embarrassing whether i'd want to watch that again or a movie that took my sort of childhood and crumpled it up into a ball and then kicked it around for a while yeah which one um I think I'd have to watch Beowulf again. <laughs> I didn't. Beowulf wasn't the one of the options. Well, it's the one I'm taking because that's the one we're here to discuss. All right. Uh, so I will say, knowing that this thing was made for less than two percent of a Wild Wild West, I have to say I'm a little bit more impressed with the film. Knowing, yeah, that. exactly. I mean, it's got limited sets, murky lighting, <laughs> uh, dresses its actors as if they're what shooting a film while moonlighting from being extras on Mad Max. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the scholars Michael Livingston and John Sutton call this movie cringingly hokey. <laughs> well, but even so, harsh. I doubt I could pull it off for three and a half million. I feel like if you gave me three and a half million, I could do, I could do something more interesting than what this film pulled off. <laughs> <laughs> I could go see a whole bunch of other movies that were better. But you know, my my uh, tastes and my my style are going to be a little bit different. From the makers of this film, and I would not have been shooting for a Highlander takes on Grendel, uh, Cinemax porno kind of Vibe, film. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Andy, if I were, if I were to ask you, what would you guess this movie made on its release? Budget of three point five million. Yeah. Virtually no advertising budget. Yeah, well, it's a B movie. It's like a straight to video kind of movie, right? Except it wasn't. Oh, it went in the theaters. Oh, it yes. does not have that feel of a film that went into a theater. <laughs> no. Um, I'm going to guess it made, it's got to have made at least $100,000. You are remarkably close. Uh, It officially reports $107,000 in its theatrical release. That's great. Now, I will say, mitigating factor here. uh, This movie was released on March 31st, 1999. Mm -hmm. Any other guesses about what films were also released on that day in the United States? Um, I think if you're asking this question, mm-hmm. and we're talking about March, um, yep. uh, I have to go with like a really, really, really big film. And I already know it's not yep. uh, Phantom Menace. Uh, so it's got to be something like The Matrix or something like that, because that's also 99. That's correct. The Matrix was released on the same day as this film. Well, no wonder it only made $100,000. See, and it's going up against yeah, The Matrix. Well, so. Obviously, The Matrix sort of sucks all the air up when it comes to like sci-fi, that kind of yeah. stuff. Uh, and if you are interested in that kind of movie, uh, there's also, on that same day, 10 Things I Hate About You, hmm. the rom-com that launched the careers of Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so 
there really is just no space at the theater for this movie to exist. And sure enough, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't, not for long. I wonder, you know, the uh, the Spy Who Shagged Me also came out in 1999, as, mm-hmm. did, so a lot as of, did Fight Club. There's a lot of, like, high-concept comedies coming out that year. Yeah. Mystery Men also Mystery released Men, in 1999. Right? Which, uh, you know, one of my personal favorites. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting to me when I, I, I watch a movie like Beowulf 1999, and then I think about, uh, you know, I'm like, well, it's just, it's it's such an old movie, you know, you got to forgive it a little <laughs> bit. And then you think, well, okay, Fight Club, Matrix, American Beauty, um, uh, The Green Mile came out that same year, The Mummy, like all these amazing films. Office Space, John? The yep. sixth set, this sixth is the sense, thing. all that came Eddie, out. This is the thing about this movie that when you watch this, it is a 1999 filmic release that would feel very at home in about 1983 in the cinema. Wow, I would think an even it, it's got a lawnmower man kind of feel to it, right? So, like, that's like 88, okay. 89, right? When this, but see, I feel like the um, the music. Is very kind of early 80s oh, yeah. synth techno vibe. Well, and... Uh, uh, the special effects, such as they exist, uh, are very kind of early 80s until we get to that final climactic battle that we will undoubtedly talk where about. Where it turns into like uh, 1992 special effects. Yes. Very, very bad like VHS special effects, yeah. yes. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we can forgive it, but uh, the thing that feels most 80s to me is the crimped hair of Grendel's mother. Yes, <laughs> I mean, she comes straight out of a... We'll undoubtedly be talking hairstyles. She comes straight out of like a Van Halen, Mm -hmm. maybe a warrant video. She's perfect for a warrant video. Um, There is a sex dream that Hrothgar has about two-thirds of the way through this movie. Is it a dream? That is absolutely shot as a uh, as a rock video. Yeah, but Hrothgar right. is the car that <laughs> that the woman is right, throwing exactly. herself all over. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you can imagine the warrant cherry pie video, but with Hrothgar as the vehicle. <laughs> uh, and if that much. doesn't sell uh, the movie, I don't know what now, will. One thing though, before we start talking about the actual sort of plot of this thing, uh, we're making it sound like this is sort of a big, bright, colorful film. And uh, one thing you have to get over with this movie is the lack of colors. Yeah. Uh, this movie, the color palette for this film is like three colors and one of them is rust. <laughs> it is a it is a grim gray world with people who mostly seem to exist without, you know, uh, much to do except die while they wait for Beowulf to do something. Yeah. Uh, it's it's sort of sepia and gray and rust for the entire movie. And people's lives seem to kind of fit that palette. And it also seems like they can't quite figure out whether this palace is a castle or some kind of mechanical steampunk kind of city or what exactly it is. A pipe and steam factory that were so popular in 80s movies. Yes. Uh, Oh, yeah. No, they they don't seem to know where this movie is taking place. Well, it's it has uh, a midi. So like, so then then I could ask the question, John. Why are we talking about it on Huata movie um, when it's not really a medieval movie? It's just medieval adjacent. Well, uh, I think we can answer that by explaining what exactly is going on in this film. Okay, if you think so. The story. 
Beowulf. I've heard that name before. Oh, yeah? What'd you hear? Stories only idiots would believe. Only an idiot would come to this damn place. <laughs> Unless he was already damned. Okay, first of all, I've seen this movie more times than I want to think about. Uh, and I was on my third or fourth viewing before I realized this thing isn't set in space, Andy. Wait a minute. Third or fourth? Okay, now I have two comments. Yeah. yeah. First, um, yeah. we did always in grad school refer to this as Space Beowulf. Yes, we did. And when I taught Beowulf for the longest time, I often would show a poster of it having never seen this film. Right. And I would call it Space Beowulf. Right. Um, I've only seen the film twice. I, I just watched it the second time uh, tonight before we we, yeah. we, we met up here. Um, and you're right. Well, and the first time, I think, was during COVID when you and I and some of our grad school friends watched it. That, that's correct. Yes. Uh, so that that's the only times I've ever watched it. It's not a space movie. Nope. It's a steampunk movie. Well, it's just not medieval, Andy, is what it is. <laughs> okay. Well, then that's uh, the all we need to talk is, yeah, about for quite a movie. Uh, it's not yeah. a medieval movie. Therefore, I mean, <laughs> we're going to set it aside. Sorry, folks, for wasting your time. It's The affect ends up being space because the aesthetic is, as you said, steampunk, but it meets Mad Max, meets Renfair, meets yeah. softcore pornography. It's <laughs> a set of influences that only make sense in a cheesy sci-fi yeah. space movie. It's so funny though, because for the you're, for until you just said that, I forgot that I always referred to this as Space Beowulf, yep. and I'm expecting there to be a Space Beowulf somewhere. Well, and of course there is a context for that, right? There are movies like Crawl, right, that do that exact thing. Mm-hmm. Dune is kind of like that in some ways. Wait, uh, um, excuse me. Dune is Space Beowulf. No, no. In the sense of like sci-fi, kind of medievally vibe, but in space. Okay, that's fair. Uh, um, okay, the second thing that I noticed from your just your yeah. opening there was uh, mm-hmm. you said you've watched it so many times. How many times yes. have you sat through this movie, John? I, I honestly don't know. And I why? honestly don't know. It's a lot. Well, you know, I have a thing for like one bad movies in general. Yes, uh, but two. Um, I have a particular fondness for bad Beowulf movies. So, well, you're in yeah, luck. No, we're gonna, you're in luck, This John. is going to come up again. <laughs> because they're all bad. I know. Um, <laughs> spoilers. Uh, but yeah, no, this is going to come up again. I've seen these movies probably more times than any sane person should. Yeah, well, all right. Uh, uh, you were setting up the, the film, so I'm going to just gonna well, go ahead fine, and step fine. back uh, and let you do so, your job. Uh, the movie opens up with an attack on Harold. Uh, which is called The Outpost in this movie. Yes. Uh, we meet Hrothgar, his weapons master, who is Mac from Night Court, Charles Robinson. Uh, Mac's nephew, Will, who's sort of comic relief. And Roland, the handsome guy who's meant to be the Unferth character. But he's also in love with Kyra, Hrothgar's daughter. Yeah. Uh, can we, we just pause to talk about the just the opening sequence there? Um, and, yeah. and by this, I just mean you have the title, uh, which has the music and the boom, 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 Beowulf, you know, that pops across the screen, which is... Right, the real synth, hard synth going on. Hilarious, uh, which is going to be our theme music for at least this episode, if not all of our episodes. It's going to be hard to top. It, it's so good. Um, and then you get this, you get that picture of the siege, right? We get this kind yep. of image of of this kind of steampunk Hayrot kind of thing going on. Right. It, it does an okay job of setting a, a mood and a tone that is kind of medieval. Right. Kind of. Yeah. And, and then <laughs> yeah. it shifts from this dark, gritty, 
and very medievally feeling exterior to an interior where we see Hrothgar marching down the hall with his weapon master, who is, as we've said, Mac from Night Court. Yep. Uh, Roland, who is the Unferth character, right. and a younger gentleman who goes by the rather incongruous name of Will. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we know we're in a movie that is competing against itself in terms of style and tone. Because Will is walking and talking like <laughs> like a 90s sitcom character. Hey, why well, I always gotta get the broken ones? Try the trigger. No, that this actor was clearly getting different notes than the rest of the cast. Um, and I, I think this may be a choice by the director. I think so. Uh, because this is a very kind of late 90s thing. If you think about the Dungeons & Dragons movie that came out a year later, similar thing, right? The comedy comes from somebody in a sort of fantasy setting or period piece behaving like they're in a modern setting. Yeah, yeah. So it, it strikes uh, a... V- the point is it strikes a very different tone immediately. Yes. It sets up a certain expectation that it says film. you're in a modern film in the 90s. Right. right. You expect this guy to start wearing a baseball cap backwards at any moment. Yeah, in in a in a embarrassing way. Right. Uh now, and again, I think this is probably not the actor's fault. I think this is a note he's getting from the director to, you know, to play up the comic sort of nature of his duck out of water situation. Exactly. And and my notes on Will, uh just I'll I'll, I'll share some quick notes on Will. Um cuz I think he's a fascinating character. Um I'll just share two of them. One is it's Will that I feel the most sorry for. Both, and I think I could add both as an actor and as a character. Um, and oh, then dear. I also came around to Will is the true hero of this show. Oh, that's 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 saying a lot. Uh, it probably is. Let's let's see how that pans out. Uh, so the uh, the the crew is on their way to fight Grendel, but they have to stop and argue with Hrothgar's daughter, right, Kyra. Yeah. Uh, she's an addition to the story. She's a replacement for Welthau, uh, Hrothgar's wife who in this movie has died at some point in the past. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a whole plot line around that. Um, turns out Cairo wants to fight. Her father won't let her. It's all very Eowyn and Theoden. Uh, and then they rush off to fight Grendel, who proceeds to tear apart a few red shirt guards until he's confronted by Hrothgar. Now, the, the most hilarious, one of the funniest moments in the whole film comes when oh boy, already? They, they've got these very stylized kind of armor and weird weapons that they are carrying that are really out from mm-hmm. a child's drawing book kind of thing. But they're they're interesting. It's interesting to look at. Sure. Sure. Hrothgar's walking down the hall in what I can only describe as a solid metal mask with a mm-hmm. tiny, tiny slit. Like don't think like medieval knights with a a, a slim kind of viewfinder for their for their eyes. There is literally like a paper thin no, slit. <laughs> right. In Think middle. in terms of like, you know, your friend got drunk and used like hit hit a tin can with an axe. <laughs> so, yeah. And they, they come upon Grendel, who's standing there in the hallway before them, I guess. And uh, Hrothgar says, I can't see it. And then he takes his helmet off. <laughs> right. And that is the opening <laughs> of the film. Uh-huh. Pretty um, ridiculous. Right. And Grendel, uh, we don't really get a good look at Grendel in this opening scene. Um, Grendel refuses to fight Hrothgar and specifically refuses to fight Hrothgar. He says, not you. Yes. That'll be important later. I think Um, everyone can read right through that. They know. Right. Right. (laughs) Next scene. Uh, We're outside. It's daylight. 
And a young woman uh, named Pendra, not that it's important as it turns out. <laughs> right. Uh, I saw her. Was in. It's it's Marta <laughs> from Arrested Development. Is that true? Yes. She, uh, she's oh Job's girlfriend. Oh, wow. And then she starts seeing Michael Good Bruce. Good spot. Yeah. Um, and she's also in The Mummy where she's uh, Imhotep's lover. Oh. Uh, she's very memorable in that movie. I've never seen those. What? Really? I've wasted my time watching this movie like eight times. <laughs> well, let me tell you, you should have been watching The Mummy instead. Well, in this film, she's a young woman, a servant in the castle, I think. Uh, she's on the run because after having seen this sort of attack the night before, she's decided to escape. Uh, she's being chased by what at this point appear to be random evil guys. Mm-hmm. They catch her, beat her up with a surprising amount of violence. I They uh, punch her right in the face. That's the first it's move. It's horrible. It's uh, and they drag her to a guillotine. It looks like a large, old-fashioned barber's razor. Yeah, John, I think that's where all of the budget went, was building this massive <laughs> barber's razor. <laughs> and they're like, that's clever. Uh, well, it's very that. nice. Uh, but before they can execute her, Beowulf appears. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Lambert on a horse. Uh, he's got bleach blonde hair. He's wearing a black leather trench coat. And he's armed with, what, auto-loading crossbows yeah. and an endless supply of spring-loaded collapsible weapons. Mm-hmm. Andy, initial thoughts about Lambert Wolf? Um, uh, my initial and constant thought throughout the movie was, why is this man so stiff? <laughs> you know, I actually don't answer to that. Do you? I, uh, I mean, I know, I know some things about him in this movie. Yeah. In terms what of the I stiffness, know, he must have been injured mm-hmm. or something. What's wrong with him? Uh, well, the the issue with Christopher Lambert's performances, and one of the reasons why he has such an, has such an unusual affect as a, as an uh, actor, he's basically blind. Yes, um, he that has I know. Severe myopia and can't wear contact lenses as well, and so has to act without his glasses on, and often is essentially uh, guessing as to where he's supposed to stand at any moment or look at any moment. That's you know, full credit to him for managing to pull that off. But it does give him uh, an affect that is unusual and sometimes really works to his advantage. Yeah. I've seen him in movies where it really works. In this film, it does make him – he's got kind of a Kevin Costner and Robin Hood feel. Well, I He's mean, just – he's very stiff in a movie full of people who are sort of trying to, you know, go a little hammier. Well, as the film progresses and you get a little bit of Beowulf's backstory for this film – Something of his kind of like his coldness and his stiffness mm-hmm. begins to kind of make sense. Uh, but ask me I if mean, it also makes sense if you just read Beowulf. <laughs> mm, not really. Uh, but if you ask me if I like that affect for this character, right. my answer would be right. no. Fair enough. Uh, well, stiff or no, he manages to massacre a lot of the bad guys. Oh, John, uh, like they're they're a lot. You texted me when you were watching it. I think this morning, and yeah. you're like, "I'm watching him." <laughs> I forget what you said, but. Kick all kinds of ass or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's surrounded by guys with long pole arm yes. super weapons. And he's basically just kind of circling on his horse in place. And no one yes, can but seem he keeps to do pulling anything. pulling out various spring loaded things. How do you fight somebody with spring loaded weapons, Andy? I think you just take a, a long stick with a pokey and you just poke, poke into the horse. And you wait till it falls down, and then you... Yeah, the horse that he, at that point, abandons, by the way. Yeah, the horse isn't uh, in the we film. We ever see that horse again. No, it's in... Well, there's a horse at the end. It's... At the end of the film? Yeah. He and... Well, oh, there's... there's. I, I'll, I'll tell you what happens when we get to the end. Well, yeah. Uh, so, 
eventually, he manages to fight his way through this this crowd of villains. They let him take Pendra and go, but when she realizes that Beowulf is heading back to Hera, she jumps off the horse and runs back to the soldiers, who immediately kill her. Yes, and so ends. Uh, so- I was so excited to see Marta in the film, <laughs> and then she's now they're gonna tie that loose end right up, dead immediately. Yeah. Uh, tragic. Beowulf enters the outpost, giving uh, this sort of hero, give everyone the stink eye montage as he passes by all the different characters. Uh, he's eventually brought to Hrothgar, who accepts Beowulf's offer to help help with the Grendel problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once Beowulf goes to his room to rest, Roland appears and convinces Hrothgar that Beowulf has been hired by the family of a man named Nivri to get revenge. Yeah. Now, Andy, who's Nivri? <laughs> Well, Nivri's not in the poem, nor is Roland nope. or any of this other stuff. Well, again, I, I'm pretty sure Roland is Unferth. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Uh, uh, what I but like, Nivri is not. What I like about that whole that scene, at at the very least, is that it does it parallels yes. enough Beowulf's entrance into Heorot. There right. is, I think that's what you'll see is the theme of this film, is that things parallel rather yeah. than having anything but to there, do with. What, what works there uh, from the mm-hmm. perspective of looking at it as a an adaptation of the poem is you mm-hmm. do have Hrothgar and Beowulf kind of speaking to some degree at odds about why Beowulf is there and what he's doing. Right. So there's that interrogation uh, that's happening and mm-hmm. the suspicion. And then you have Roland, that is Unferth, casting doubt on Beowulf's reasons for being there and right. kind of raising those deeper suspicions. So in yeah. that effect, I guess, yeah, it, it kind of works, mm-hmm. you know? Well, in the plot of this film, uh, Nivri is Hrothgar's former son-in-law yes, who's recently died. Oh, that's the question uh, and- you asked me. Right, that's fine. Uh, Nivri's family suspects that he was killed, and they're right, by the way. Uh, Hrothgar's family is currently claiming it was an accident during weapons training with Roland. Uh, but we'll we'll come back to that. Uh, Beowulf has a little chat with the assistant weapons master, Will, mm-hmm. uh, your favorite character. Uh, and we learn that Will isn't actually any good at his job, which, honestly, we could have guessed. <laughs> right. Uh little comic relief as he accidentally fires uh, darts out of Beowulf's wrist guard into the ceiling. Uh, But then uh, Kyra visits Beowulf's room. Beowulf is clearly intrigued by her. And when I say intrigued, I mean Christopher Lambert gives Rona Mitra a look up and down and then back up again. Mm -hmm. That it goes on for an uncomfortably long time. Yeah. I think most people who have talked about this film, one of the things that they focus their attention on most is... Rona Mitra and her mm-hmm. her performance. Often lovingly lit as well. Very, uh, very much so. Yeah. Given given um how all the men are wrapped in leather and very kind mm-hmm. of, you know, they're 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 fully covered. It, yes. it seems that uh Kyra lives in a in a different, less drafty castle. Uh, uh because yeah, one of the remarkable things about her in this film is mm-hmm. how how prominently they feature certain aspects of her. Yeah, what what the what the Mr. Science Theater writers would call her chesticological region. That's that's correct. Yes. Um. Yes. <laughs> that's fairly typical for a film like this, but yes. Um and she's actually I would say I can trace a number of other female leads in movies in the early aughts to this character. 
Uh, I'm thinking of the female lead in the movie Van Helsing, mm. uh, particularly. Right? The sort of uh, tragic daughter, scion of a family, uh, who's bound up with the with what's going on and is intriguing the hero while also being sort of very belligerent to the hero. Yeah. But uh, in this scene, she's she's here to register that she's suspicious of him. Uh, uh, Kyra also thinks that Beowulf is there to to avenge uh, her dead husband, Nivri. Yeah. Uh, Beowulf uh, decides to spend some time wandering around the castle and witnesses a training session led by Roland. And the session is mostly Roland beating his own men to a pulp. Uh, <laughs> and suddenly, the idea that he might have killed Nivri in a training exercise starts to look a little more plausible. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought uh, watching that scene, I thought because I'm, I'm thinking of him as Unferth, and I'm like, look at how much he cares. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you know, Roland right. genuinely cares about the 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 safety of these people, maybe not his soldiers, well, but it's nice that someone does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also gets one of the, one of the lines that I think the, uh, the writers must be very proud of themselves for. I was just going to highlight uh, probably the same line. Fight well. Or die badly. Fight well or die badly. That's exactly it. I, I only have, <laughs> Five quotes that I pulled, and that's uh-huh. that's one of them. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, so that night, everyone is at dinner, uh, but Mac from Night Court has lost his glasses in a dark corridor, and so can't find his way. So classic, uh, John. I don't know if you noticed he's, when when he's mm-hmm. walking down the hall, and he's yep. if you look at the way he's wearing his glasses, he has them tilted down, almost yep. like they're for for reading. Right. Right. As soon as they fall off his face. Yep. He's effectively Velma. He's blind. He can't see anything. <laughs> oh no! I I I have a note about Velma right at this moment. <laughs> he's he's on the ground, uh, kind of feeling around. He's like Carl. I lost well, my glasses. Well, and his Velma move is that he's then confronted with a giant blurry shape. Yes, which he logically assumes is his friend Carl. Yes. <laughs> uh, even when the blurry shape reaches out and touches Max's chin with a claw, he says, "Carl." <laughs> You gotta trim your nails, Carl. Oh, a car. I uh, I dropped my glasses on where you see them anywhere. Car? Is that your car? Uh, yeah. I mean, Grendel just can't believe his luck. Uh, he kills him on the spot. However, of course, since Mac couldn't see without his glasses, we still haven't gotten a good look at Grendel. Right. Uh, and this is actually one of the better analogs to the poem, weirdly enough. Uh, Mac is clearly meant to be the Asherah figure. Uh, yeah, and for right. those who haven't read the poem in a while, uh, Asherah is Hrothgar's oldest friend and trusted advisor, and he's killed in revenge by Grendel's mother after the death of her son. Uh, but he, the fact that he's older, the fact that he's past his prime as a warrior is kind of a feature of Asher's character. Uh, in in this story, he dies a little earlier in the action, but the impact is the same. We've had red shirts dying all over the place, but when Mac dies, everyone's upset. Yeah. It's disappointing to lose Mac from Night Court so early because he, oh, absolutely. as a kid who grew up watching Night Court, I was yep. happy to see him. Well, you didn't get to find him in many things. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. But now, of course, your best, your favorite character, Will, 
is promoted to weapons master. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Will is crying over his uh, uncle or you know whatever right. whatever for about five seconds. Yeah, but he he's feeling it, and then mm-hmm. it stands up, turns around, and has a pleasant conversation with with Beowulf about being weapon master now. Right. Promotion. Yeah, not too comforting, huh? You could say that. Well, of course everyone's gonna die anyway, but one thing's for sure is that I ain't no weapons master. You don't have to be good all the time. Just when it matters. Uh, Beowulf decides to spend the rest of the evening patrolling the outpost uh, because he can somehow sense the presence of evil. Yes. Uh, Kyra confronts him and says now she believes he's not there from her in-laws because he can sense evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she still doesn't seem, she still gets a weird vibe from him, uh, mainly because he keeps mumbling about being trapped between two worlds. I'm trapped between two worlds. That's what I am. Uh, and as soon as she leaves, because there's apparently a rule in this castle that only one person at a time can talk to Beowulf, uh, Roland appears to confront Beowulf over Kyra's attention. Uh, and because this movie doesn't like to have downtime, they begin to fight. Dude, their fight uh, is pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. And uh, I, I felt bad mm-hmm. watching it because I'm like, these guys practiced it. This, this was something that yeah. they worked on. Mm-hmm. It's going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, he he beats Roland but doesn't kill him and lets him run away into the dark. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Hrothgar is sleeping in his bedroom, apparently having gotten over Max's death pretty quickly. Uh, while he dreams, a woman arrives wearing not very much, uh, mostly some loosely knit gelatinous white stuff that yeah. absolutely does not cover her body. No. It calls to mind something like seaweed. It's like a seaweed net, yes. but it's white gelatinous kind of jellyfishy. Yes. And I think that's actually a very interesting thing because I, I like to think that that was a costumer trying to draw an analogy to the mere wife. Right mm. to uh, Grendel's mother being associated with sort of her underwater cave yeah. and the seaweed that surrounds it. I, I uh, also like I, to think that I feel like that might be a thing. I think someone was also very excited about putting her in something to prominently feature her nipples. I mean, this is we should be clear. They did hire a Playboy Playmate of the Month mm-hmm. to play Grendel's mother. That's right. Uh, so you know they they had a reason. For wanting to hire a playmate. They had a, an idea for what they wanted Grendel's mother to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the costume reflects those feelings. I think so. And and the eye makeup and the crimped hair and, and everything. Yes. And it's, it is. Yeah. As we said earlier, 80s, 80s rock star yeah. uh, video. And it's, it's very intentional. So, like, we can't blame yep. the actress because I think, uh, as, you know, maybe no. we'll discuss later in a little bit more detail. I think she does mm-hmm. well with what she's given to do. Yes. Yes, it's not much, but yeah, she actually she actually seems to have the conviction of believing the words she's saying, mm-hmm. which many actors in this film do not seem to do. And she's you could see that she's trying, which many yes. of the actors in this film maybe yes. don't do as much. Not as much. Once they found um, out the budget I, I say, and they were eating out of tin foil. Right. Well, <laughs> I said to you that there's you can actually spot the moment in this film when each actor gives up. <laughs> If you're looking for absolution, you're asking the wrong man. Uh, now, so this dream, uh, while she sort of writhes on top of Hrothgar like he's a sports car in an 80s video, uh, 
he has a nightmare about his wife, his dead wife, Welthiau, being confronted by a pregnant Grendel's mom. Uh, he wakes up, but of course he's alone in his room. Uh, meanwhile, Will is talking with his uncle's friend, Carl, uh, who almost immediately after that gets killed by Grendel. Uh, Will sees Grendel, and we get our first decent look at him, finally. We're about 35, 40 minutes into the film at this point. Turns out Grendel is Predator. Yes, exactly uh, what I thought. He's got Predator cloaking ability, mm-hmm. uh, and I love this. It is so much a part of this movie's unintentionally retro feel that they're ripping off 80s movie monster effects. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it's not a good effect, necessarily. No, no. Uh, but it, it, you know. It gets worse because later on i think they're trying to establish that grendel has like a heat-seeking vision really but all they achieve is yeah when he's up in the rafters watching them but all they really achieve is that he's watching them as sort of a purple haze yeah i didn't get that that was i didn't get that that's what was going on uh but i think that's what they were doing. there's definitely no doubt that this is predator grendel yeah absolutely yeah uh now uh, at this point, everyone freaks out, not because Grendel is apparently in, semi-invisible, but because Carl was killed in the daytime, which means, according to Beowulf, Grendel's tired of the game. He wants it over. Well, I'm, I'm gone Irish there. I wasn't trying to he be Irish. He wants it but... over. Now that's enough fat of you there, Grendel. <laughs> Acting like a monster, chewing up everyone, drinking their blood. <laughs> we'll have none of it. He won. He won. He, he's got this freaking out. <sighs> yeah, he does. Grendel's tired of the game. He wants it over. See, I'm, I'm still, I can't get away from Irish. I guess. It's fine. Don't worry. I like it. I like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Grendel murders a bunch of women and children who were in a guarded tower. Oh, that, that's a big surprise uh, of the film, actually. Right? Because yeah, you, yeah. you've got your, your you've got your, uh, mm-hmm. you know, usher the women and children into a safe space. All the men are outside. Right. Right. Make sure the door is double bolted. Kind of thing, yeah. All that kind of stuff. Exactly. Right. I was thinking right. of Helms. And then Grendel's just in there with the murderers. Yeah, and, and yeah. Next thing you uh, know, of course, they're all dead. And Andy, why does everyone outside know that Grendel's in there murdering everyone? Why do they know? They can hear it? Because, yes. And why can they hear it? Because the people inside left the microphone for the PA system in the castle on. I don't, I didn't catch that. And it's all being tra- <laughs> it's all being broadcast through these speakers that are all over the courtyard. I mean, that's a great touch. All doors are secured from the inside. Uh, did we mention this uh, medieval castle has a PA system? Because it does. Yeah, it's got a PA system. <laughs> Uh, wow. Uh, oh, and it's got a crematorium yeah. that everybody gets shoved into every couple minutes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, which is clearly gas powered, as are the wall sconces, by the way. Yeah. Important uh, plot point. So <laughs> Beowulf and the main cast, along with like half a dozen expendable extras, track Predator Grendel into a dark room and start getting picked off. The unimportant characters, obviously. Uh Grendel launches a full-out attack, and Beowulf and Roland lead the fight against this shimmering monster, who's very big and gross-looking, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Vincent Hammond, the actor playing Grendel, is almost a foot taller than Christopher Lambert, and it shows. It definitely shows. Um, uh, he's big. The other thing that's established in that sequence, uh, in that battle mm-hmm. scene, is the invulnerability of Grendel. They make a, a, a real yes. point of showing us, mm-hmm. making sure that we understand that when you use regular weapons on him... It doesn't seem to work for some reason. So we see like right, it just bounces off. Yeah, things bouncing off of him, uh, which doesn't right. make sense for the where it all ends up. But 
whatever. Right. <laughs> but makes sense if, you know, for the poem, right? This is one of those signs they have actually read the poem. They're just ignoring it. Well, they just forget later. Right. <laughs> Um, this battle, by the way, has my favorite bit of action of the whole movie. I don't know if you spotted this. At one point in the battle, uh, Beowulf runs up onto a low platform while Grendel is killing guards. He pulls out a grappling hook, throws it around a roof beam, and then slowly and heavily swings across the room, oh. nowhere near Grendel, lands without incident, and then runs back into the fight. <laughs> yes. I did notice. It is the most inexplicably pointless thing I've ever seen in a fight sequence. And as you watch him kind of uh, uh, swing, I, I don't want to say swinging. He's slowly moving yeah. <laughs> across the hall. Pendulously arcing across the room, yes. It's not, fa- it's not fast and it's not exciting. And, it's, and Christopher it's Lambert it's looks so, so uncomfortable while doing yep. it. It is not. <laughs> he's, he's clearly not sure this is going to support his weight. <laughs> it's not Errol Flynn at all. Right. He looks like me getting into a hammock that I've hung for my kids. Yeah. Now, John, at what point yeah. do we uh, talk about the choice for battle scenes with Christopher Lambert to have him just do flips everywhere? <laughs> it, this is Beowulf's signature move, flipping. Right. Back flips, handsprings, you, you name know, it. He's got it. There's a reason why action action fights like to do backflips because you can mask a stunt double that way. Right. It's virtually impossible to tell that that's not Christopher Lambert, even though it's clearly not Christopher Lambert. Yeah, there's so many flips. <laughs> I know there are. So uh, they many. also keep reusing the same footage. Yes, they do. Of him flipping and jumping out of rafters. But we'll we'll do that. <laughs> uh, eventually, Beowulf manages to wound Grendel by jumping on his back and stabbing at him repeatedly with a large hook. Mm-hmm. And as you said... This kind of ignores what has just been established, that he cannot be injured by weapons, but whatever. Well, maybe it's he um, can't be injured by projectiles. Maybe that's what they were establishing. No, no, because uh, Hrothgar hits him with a sword. Oh, and that bounces off. Uh, huh? It's it's just that Beowulf can hurt him with weapons, apparently. Uh, well, Beowulf uh, shot Beowulf at him is, and stuff, and nothing worked. Right. Well, so Beowulf kicks projectiles. There you go. There you go. Okay, I don't... It's inconsistent. Uh, we'll just say the right. rules are well, inconsistent. That's right. No, don't assume anything you learn in this movie in one scene pertains to another. Uh, Beowulf is thrown off of Grendel, who escapes, uh, and, Gren- and Beowulf is ba- badly injured. Uh, Hrothgar tries to fight him again, but Grendel refuses and runs away. Uh, Beowulf is brought to bed, uh, where Kyra bandages him, but believes he's dying because his wounds appear to be fatal. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing uh, I know from watching movies in my time mm-hmm. is that when a man gets injured... And a woman nurses him back to health. She's going to fall in love with him. I mean, how do you not? You know, that that chest with all of its rippling claw injuries. <laughs> how do you not fall And the mystery of, uh, of his, his character. Why does he sense mm-hmm. evil? I mean, it's not like they had any uh, interactions that are remarkable that would make her like not him. Yet. Not yet. Give it time. She's uh, already falling. In the meantime, she has to fend off. Roland, who tells her that he loves her in the hallway outside uh, Beowulf's sickbed, uh, and she responds sort of Han Solo style with, I know, and then walks away. Uh, she doesn't mean it harsh. Han Solo style, though. I know she doesn't, but it's, yeah, it's very clear that she does not return his feelings. Because this this does eventually uh, set up what I think for Roland is probably his best scene. Yes, absolutely. Uh so this same night, uh, Grendel's mom appears in Hrothgar's dreams again, 
And this time it's a full-on rock video. Uh, as we said, Grendel's mom has big 80s hair. At this time, she's dancing around on top of Hrothgar while electric guitar solos mm-hmm. uh, play. She's also been uh, licking his nose a lot. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of licking. There is a lot of licking. So much uh, licking. Why does she need to lick so much? I don't know. I mean, uh, Oliver sure. Cotton seems to be enjoying Look, himself, though. Any red-blooded, uh, you know, sexual person enjoys a good lick now and then, but... <laughs> The bridge of the nose. Who among us? <laughs> the, the the you know the nostrils yeah. and like yeah, there's a it's lot just, of it's nasal that, action. That tongues get into places. <laughs> uh, so um, there's another vision. This time it becomes clear that uh, Welthao, uh, the wife of Hrothgar, killed herself after learning that Hrothgar had gotten Grendel's mom pregnant. Yeah. Uh, now in the morning, uh, because this movie does these really quick cuts, I'm not being abrupt. The movie is. Uh, Kyra in the morning discovers that Beowulf has healed overnight. Miraculous. Uh, he's completely healed. There's a couple of scars, nothing else. Yeah. She's a little freaked out, but he just says, I'm a quick healer. Yeah. The, I mean, what the, the film has been doing is raising the tension by implying that there's something unusual about this, this Beowulf. Right. right. Um, I'm not going to say it's subtle or anything, you know, mm-hmm. but it's at least pacing itself with the reveals uh-huh. Uh, Beowulf then kind of wanders off uh, and he talks to Will about needing a new special weapon. Yes, and this is Will's moment to shine. I need you to make me something. And I need it now. Yeah, what is it? I'll show you. But no mistakes. All right, no sweat. This is the time. It matters. It is. Uh, but when Beowulf goes back to get the weapon later, Will seems kind of non-committal and, frankly, casual about whether or not it'll work. Is it done? Yep. Have you tested it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it works fine. Works great. Most of the time. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Hey, listen, man. Are you going to take this beast thing or not? You don't want me to ruin the surprise. (laughs) Waking up in the morning is surprise enough. Uh, And when Will says that he's not... Well, when he says, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, Beowulf gives him a disappoint, disappointed stepfather stare, yeah. <laughs> which is really one of Christopher Lambert's sort of best it movies, is. is the disappointed stare. Uh, we don't know what this weapon is yet, though. All we know is that it's small enough to lift and it's kind of wrapped up in leather. Yeah, there's a bit of excitement wrapped up in that that weapon. Because, sure. like, what, what exactly We're is really, it? It's being built up to be a really big thing. And Beowulf asks for this special, right? Yes. And it has to be made just right. And it's, it's Will's chance to really establish himself as the weapons master. That's right. And we're going to see his, his real rise and how people really appreciate the efforts that Will's mm-hmm. making uh, after this moment, right? I don't think it's fair to do sarcasm like this about a movie people may not have seen. Oh, well, anyway, uh, we'll never see Will again in the film. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, so uh, Beowulf, now having this great secret weapon, decides to take a lunch break um, and is sitting at the table eating out of what, as you said, look like aluminum baking tins from the stoppage yeah. shop. I happened to notice uh, he was he – was, 
spooning soup into it. It was just broth, really. Yes. Uh, but he did have yes, broth in a baking he tin. He did have another tin that looked to have what might be chicken nuggets and um, little carrots. <laughs> uh, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Well, it's a balanced meal. Yeah. But he was he was all about that all your broth. food groups. Absolutely. Uh, Roland stops by. He's also limping from the battle and tells him that Nivri, Kyra's dead husband, was a sadistic jerk who mistreated Kyra. Mm. And they both kind of indirectly acknowledge that Kyra herself killed him. Yeah. Uh, Roland laments that Kyra thinks of him like a brother because we've got a whole friend zone subplot going on in this thing. She thinks of me as a brother. That's all I could ever be. I've survived a lot of pain. Warriors do. Yeah. But nothing to compare with that. Roland's speech there, uh, I thought was not horrible. And I thought the no, this, the actor was doing a, f- a decent job with the material he yes. was given. Because Guts Otto uh, playing Roland, yeah. yeah, he was he was trying to express to Beowulf that the rejection of of Kyra, this woman that he's loved his whole life, has hurt him worse mm-hmm. than any battle loss or scar yes. or wound that he has suffered. I thought that was a, a decent concept to kind of play out there. Yeah, no, I think um, this actor, very lonely that he is in this film is trying to develop a character with some kind of an inner life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, a lot of actors, and I, I respect some of these people for their work elsewhere, but a lot of them, you get the impression that they just, they did give up. Their characters are being stored in cabinets when they're not needed for a scene. Uh, like uh, Hrothgar, for example? Guy, right. Uh, <laughs> like, this guy, I believe that he lives in this god-awful castle and has become this sort of bitter and angry man who's still held in check by a personal concept of honor and duty. Yeah. Uh, right, there's, there's an actual person there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Beowulf leaves him, goes back to patrolling the corridors, meets Kyra. They talk about her husband's death, and she explains calmly, he was drunk and he wanted me. I refused. He started to beat me, and I stabbed him over and over. Which, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh by the way, Beowulf, to his credit, says, no, that was justified. <laughs> You're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, she's convinced that Grendel, by the way, is the ghost of her husband come back for revenge. But uh, Beowulf points out that Grendel eats people, which ghosts apparently don't do in this world. Well, in some worlds they do. Um, but yes, uh-huh. it, and this ex- this helps to explain uh, why Kyra was a bit hesitant about Beowulf at first. Right. Because just like Roland, she thinks that he's there to kind of investigate the death of Nivri, and mm-hmm. it might come back to her. Uh, now, Kyra and Beowulf separate. Kyra goes off to talk to her father, who he he confesses um, his infidelity. Or I guess he doesn't fully, but he seems like he's about to confess his infidelity to her mother. Meanwhile, Beowulf descends into the flooded catacombs under the outpost, where he confronts Grendel once more. Yeah. And this time... Another nod to the poem. He's not wearing his leather clothes. Instead, he's dressed like a 90s emo kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's got a long black sweater, dark skinny jeans. 
you know the yeah but he he is going to fight him without his projectiles without his dual crossbows and and all that other stuff right uh and he tells grendel that they're both alike they're both of the damned Uh, and they fight and grendel smacks beowulf around for a while until beowulf reveals his secret weapon this thing that they've been building up for the last 20 minutes of the film uh, which turns out to just be a punch dagger strapped to his wrist. Yes. It is such a letdown. He, he holds his arm out and like re- for the big reveal and it just kind of folds out. It's- <laughs> and it's not even very long, right? And then I'm thinking, well, what's no, he going to do with that? Not. And then he's like it's try- stabbing, stabbing Grendel. Yeah. It's just a triangular punching yeah. dagger. And somehow that triangular yeah. punching dagger manages to yeah. sever the arm of Grendel. Right. I mean, this is... This is a guy who had gas-propelled hollow-point darts in his gloves a while back in this mm-hmm. movie. And now somehow this is the weapon that's going to penetrate Grendel. Right. Well, it does. Uh, so he hacks away at him for a while and manages to cut off Grendel's right arm. Uh, the monster runs off into the dark and Beowulf brings the arm upstairs to show it yeah. off. So we actually, you know, somehow we've managed to wander back into the oh, yeah. poem at this he, point. He drops the, the, you get the arm getting dropped and then raised and kind of displayed. Yep. Um. And yep. John, the uh, the the raising of the arm breaks the siege outside. That's right. So, yeah. It turns out all those bad guys outside the keep are actually there to stop Grendel from escaping. Oh, hold uh, on. Because hold on a second. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to ask you what is the point of the siege and why did they go away? Yeah. You inferred uh, because that? as soon as they see, no, as soon as they see the arm hanging from the wall of the castle. They say, I can't believe it. They did it. Yes. And one of them literally turns around and says, all right, pack everything up. We're going home. I know. And at that point, I wrote <laughs> in my notes, the end of those characters. what was the point of the siege? I don't understand this. Yeah. yeah. They, they're trapping the evil inside. Right? So they're, that uh, makes they won't sense. let anybody out because they're not sure which one Grendel You know is. what would have been cool is if they had established that or made it clearer. Yes, that would have been cool. I'm assuming there was a there's a director's cut of this film. Oh, please. That has another 30 minutes of essentially the Greeks outside the wall talking about Grendel. I doubt that. I would imagine the director's cut includes lots more uh, Grendel's mother having sex. Well, and probably many more moody shots of people walking down dark corridors, (laughs) which there's a lot of in this film. The siege, Uh, the siege was -hmm. to keep Grendel in. Yes. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, So, but of course now Grendel's lost his arm, so he must be dead because everybody here has read the poem. The survivors break out the wine and celebrate. Uh, it's very exciting. But Beowulf just sort of wanders off to his room and starts packing up his various steampunk weapons and gadgets. Uh, it's a lot of springs to be kind of scrunched. It's a lot of springs. He's compressing things. He's tucking things away. Uh, and Kyra shows up and asks him not to leave without learning her deepest mystery, Ooh. which is how she feels about him. Oh, how sweet. Uh, she overrules his objections because he tries to refuse her and they kiss with intent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Andy, I don't know if you noticed this, but the location where they filmed this particular scene must have been absolutely freezing. It is indoors and both actors breath is clearly visible. Here's what I noticed. It's not exactly the same scene, but after they come back post coitus, um, we see them again and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Kyra, gets onto the bed and you can see the bottoms of her mm-hmm. feet are pitch black with whatever's on the ground in that room. <laughs> I mean, in key, in fairness though, 
that could be like diegetic. I mean, it's the 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 castle is dark and dirty. Yeah. So I mean, why are you going a, barefoot? It's a grimy place, and you're getting it on those nice sheets. That's a fair Come point. on now. That's a fair point. Well, <laughs> you know disgusting. they have they had servants for that kind of Wash thing. Wash your feet, Kyra. Don't get on the bed without uh, washing those feet. Yeah. Uh, so while they're upstairs enjoying themselves, uh, Roland is uh, after the party is over is slightly drunk, wandering down the hall by himself and smoking a cheroot. Yes. Uh, it's, it's one of his, it's sort of, one of, his sort of character, his, his bits of business, is that he's always lighting cherries. Again, I think probably the uh, actors move, right? That he's he's making decisions yeah. to turn this guy into right. a living character. He's trying so hard. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at this point, he meets Grendel's mother in the hallway, uh, who proceeds to drop some clangingly obvious double entendres <laughs> while stroking Roland's crotch. Yes. Uh, that he's more of a man than Beowulf, with so much more to give, that kind of thing. The subtle stuff. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Kyra and Beowulf are upstairs. They've apparently already uh, been and done that. They got their feet uh, dirty, now you know what I'm saying? Chatting afterward, yes. Uh, Beowulf, now, with very little prompting, spills his entire backstory. Yes. Uh, all that it's about stuff, time, by the way, because we're nearly at the end of the All that film. subtle stuff they've been building up towards, he's just like, oh, you want right. to know? Here it is. Right. It turns out uh, Beowulf is the son of Baal, the king of darkness and lord of mm-hmm. lies, uh, who magically seduced his mother. Uh, so he's got that going yeah. for him. Which, the uh, way that it's set yeah. up, it, it mm-hmm. it's meant to parallel whatever happened to Hrothgar. Right. We haven't right. got the full Hrothgar story yet, but I think it's been made clear through the dream sequences and the pregnancy of Grendel's mother that something yeah. similar happened to Hrothgar, that he was seduced right. by this uh, evil spirit. Um, and then Grendel is the child. So when Grendel and Beowulf are about to fight and he says, we're we, we are the same, you and I, um, mm-hmm. he means it literally. They're both yeah. half human sons of demons. Right. And speaking of which, while he's talking to Kyra, Beowulf senses the presence of Grendel's mom, who's got it going on. Uh, He runs off to find her, uh, while Kyra and her father find the Hall of Revelers slaughtered, uh, including Roland, whose corpse now drops from the rafters. Uh, Grendel's mom appears and tells him that Grendel is her son with Hrothgar, uh, which has been so obvious for so long in the movie That I honestly didn't know it was supposed to be a surprise. Right. Well, it's a surprise until to Kyra. Hrothgar reacts with shock. No, Hrothgar is surprised. <laughs> That's right. Hrothgar is. He doesn't know. Are you sure? Yes. You whore! Harsh words for the mother of your child. <sighs> the one you call the Beast? He's your son, Grendel. Conceived at the height of victorious bloodshed. Thing's not human. Uh, he's half. That's why he's so handsome. All this for love spurned. Love? You're so simple. Long before the outpost was built, this was my land and my home. My son has the older claim. He has come for what is his right. I thank God now for the opportunity to kill you. Uh, he then tries to kill her, but Grendel appears. Grendel is not dead. Uh, I was so, so apparently upset we are no by longer that. in the. Pl- it, I know, uh, he is missing an arm though. Uh, so at least there's you know consistency. Uh, he gives his dad a one-armed bear hug that apparently kills him. Although 
It honestly didn't look that bad. I think uh, it just looked like a hug. I, no, he was biting his neck or something like that. He was definitely. I he mean, was definitely being killed. Uh, well, it doesn't take long. Whatever he does. So to him. the thing you skipped over that's actually pretty important is that mm-hmm. when Grendel's mother is explaining the situation and Hrothgar's reacting with shock, he points to everybody in the room that's dead and he says, "You did all of this for spurned mm-hmm. love," and she says, "Right, you idiot." Absolutely not. <laughs> I've been here long before you got here. And oh, yes, yes. And so there's this there's yeah. this link between her and the land, this kind of mystical mm-hmm. thing that could have been played up a lot more than it is. Yeah, it could have been a very interesting kind of subplot than, than it is here. But she, she uh, points out that Grendel, as her, her child and Hrothgar's child, has come to claim this kingdom from his right. father. And right. it's a political maneuver and a power maneuver mm-hmm. rather than anything else. I thought that was interesting. Right. And meanwhile, yeah, Hrothgar... Wasted completely. Yes. Yes. And Hrothgar's been oblivious to this whole thing, which is why we weren't able to really make anything out of this subplot. Yeah. Because essentially we've kept it all dark until now so that Hrothgar can be surprised by this revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, Grendel now turns after killing uh, Hrothgar. He turns to kill Kyra, but... Beowulf leaps out of the rafters in a shot that is absolutely reused from his previous fight with Grendel. In the movie. It will be reused again uh, twice in this. It sequence. will, yes. Uh, and at one point, I think played in reverse. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, to and he stabs Grendel through the armhole, uh, and Grendel finally is dead. All right. Um, and now there's a long and very predictable scene with Grendel's mom trying to seduce Beowulf to the dark side, by which I mean sex with her. But he resists, and so she transforms into her final boss form, which is just amazingly bad CGI of an eight-foot-tall tentacle-slash-spider-slash-centaur-slash-scorpion monster. The transformation is one of the more surprising and shocking things I've seen on film. (laughs) And I'm not joking, people. If you haven't seen it, you might want to see it. Um. It's it's just this there's, there's this laughably bad battle. Uh, Christopher Lambert is doing his best to dodge a combination of very slow practical effect limbs that kind of like wave over him, and then some faster moving, very bad CGI limbs that move quite quickly but are very clearly fake. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of this. They spend a while kind of bouncing around. The and place. she comes at him uh, with her tongue her, as well in some awkward yes, uh, moments. Yes. Uh, there's absolutely, but her, you know, her body has no weight. It has no real kind of inertia. There's nothing. It's a clear kind of CGI. Mm -hmm. Uh, Until uh, after about five minutes of this, uh, Beowulf manages to cut her throat and set her on fire. Yeah. Uh, Which apparently is the secret sort of combination that, uh, uh, that unlocks the, the dead villain. He and Kyra now escape as the building collapses around them because climactic battle. Uh, and they ride off together. I just there, yeah, there is a horse. I have a note here about riding That's off exactly right. And while the poorly green screened fire consumes Hera behind. You could him. almost see the line of the slide <laughs> on the right side of the screen there. Uh, and Andy, that's the movie. While our summary of the movie has reached an end, we still have lots to discuss and some ratings to decide. Analysis. So be it. You've come for answers. See what the truth brings you. 
All right. So that was a lengthy summary. Um, yeah. I don't think we'll do it that style every single time, uh, <laughs> at least in that Try depth. and stop me. At least in that depth. But uh, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, no, this is this is a movie that, um, you know, I said that the critic, uh, Danelle Griffin, uh, said that it, it doesn't seem clear that the writers have even read the poem. But I think if you dig down to this thing, there's some fairly solid parallels to the original story. Yeah, I think the, you know, the, the writers of this film, uh, the director, are at least aware enough as an undergraduate might be of the Beowulf poem. I mean, I've, I've known some pretty good undergrads in my time. Is, does that come across as insulting? <laughs> yes, but to whom? Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's start with this question. I have another one, but, yeah. but let's start with this kind of mm-hmm. topic of conversation, shall we? Is this a reasonably faithful adaptation <laughs> of the poem, in your opinion? No, um, but no for interesting reasons. Okay, expand on that. What do you uh, mean? It's because it's more interested in creating these parallels than in actually telling the story of Beowulf. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's clearly doing its own thing. Right. That's that's very apparent. I mean, as the plot res- uh, summary we just did shows, it's not the the poem by any stretch. Uh, it's it's interested in establishing lots of these little parallels, uh, big ones and then little ones. Uh, so I'll give you a a, a small one. Uh, Hera burning at the end. Right? That's probably unintentional, but it harks back to the poem foretelling the destruction of Harrop by fire. Well, I think you're um, reading too much into that one, but okay. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, that's, you know, there's a small thing. I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's ta- what they're we talked going about for the, at all. We talked about the costume for Grendel's mom, right? Having a seaweed motif. Yes. Uh, and that that seems to hark to the mere wife, right? Mm-hmm. Her, her kind of status as an underground uh, sea monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the expansion of Unforth's character through Roland, yes. right? Yes. Um, I think that very clearly drawn from the poem, but like taking a character that has potential in the poem mm-hmm. and then kind of doing more with him. I think one of the things we're going to see as we go through a bunch of Beowulf movies is that the Unforth character frequently has the most interesting journey from the poem to the ways portrayed in films. Yeah. Uh, because it's a character that is so one-dimensional in the poem uh, and so clearly can play a more complex role in a modern story. Yeah. Uh, that they one story after another kind of redeems him or complicates him or in some way makes him a more important part of the story. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we can also talk about... Uh, the the darkness inside of Beowulf, mm-hmm. right? uh, the aglaka, right? uh, the the poet, right, famously uses this word aglaka, uh, terrifying one or monster, uh, right. This this word is used to describe Grendel's mother and Beowulf together. Uh, in other words, Beowulf is a monster too, right? or at least his imp- has these important qualities in common with the monsters that terrify other people. That's right. Yeah. Uh, right? This movie takes the idea and runs with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beowulf is superhuman. He heals like Wolverine. Uh, he's tormented by the demonic blood he inherited from his father. Uh, he keeps the evil inside of him at bay by killing other monsters. I'm not like other men. It's a, it's a good character sketch for a tortured hero, but it's also, it, to some degree, in keeping with the profile of Beowulf in the poem. Mm, yes and no, but that's the point, yeah. right? You well, I did, I did say, yeah, no, but in interesting ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Beowulf's clearly not tortured in right. the poem in any way. 
He's very right. proud of who he is and what he is. Yes. Um, he's got no problem being the hero mm-hmm. who kills monsters. And there's uh, no dark reason driving him. And I, But I do right. think, as far as this film is concerned, and it being a film of the 90s and, and you know, of a, of a moment, this interiority and this darkness within Beowulf that he's fighting against through active engagement with evil, um, mm-hmm. that that's interesting enough. Is it well executed? Well, like most of the ideas in this film, the answer is no. But <laughs> I like I like what they're going for. Right. Um, Stephen Asma uh, wrote an article uh, about 2007, I think, around the time that the Zemeckis Beowulf came out. Uh, the title was, Never Mind Grendel, Can Beowulf Survive a 21st Century Guilt Trip? Yeah, the answer is no. Uh, and, you know, that's really the question becomes, right? Is he still Beowulf? If mm-hmm. he's torn by self-doubt, if he's... Uh, worried about who he is and what his impact in the world is, right? If he's uh, afraid of the darkness within himself, is he still Beowulf? Right. But, I I mean, as we've talked about, uh, I think we did on our our Thor episode on Saga Thing, Mm -hmm. we did that little saga brief on Thor. The modern era, twenty late 20th, early 21st century, we don't want a Beowulf figure. It's one of the reasons that Beowulf isn't a great text to adapt anymore. Because who Beowulf is and what he seems to represent, at least in the mm-hmm. text, um, that's not the kind of hero that that the modern era is looking for. Generally speaking, yeah, that's true. I think there's still a way to tell the Beowulf story uh, while and you know respect the original poem a great deal more than is done here. I mean, let's remember the original poem has a lot going on after the death of Grendel's mother. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, and we're, we're going to see over and over again is that these movies stop at the death of Grendel's mother. Mm-hmm. But they they just Always aren't do. interested in exploring the other two-thirds of the poem. Yeah. Now, this is going to be a controversial take for some, but I do think there's a, a modern film that does a good job with a superhero that's kind of Beowulf-esque mm-hmm. in terms of his near invincibility, a trait which usually renders this hero less interesting. And of course, I'm thinking of Superman in Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Which I have not seen. Oh, oh come on, John. I don't, but you know. But again, people don't like Superman because he's simply too good and too difficult to beat in almost every fight, right? Mm-hmm. But the Man of Steel, at least as a film, complicates him with some interiority and personal conflict. And I think that's what you can do with Beowulf in a modern retelling because, mm-hmm. you know, we need a hero suffering from sure. an inner conflict. Yeah. It doesn't have you're, to be. You're still going to end up with a character who's plagued by self-doubt and, uh, you know, sort of torn by different by sort of various kind of pressures within him well i'll just come right out and say it Uh, you make the source of his doubt political in nature and you tie it to his investment in family and and loyalty Mm -hmm. because there's this notion in the poem that beowulf is destined to be king right Mm -hmm. this is suggested by the people of denmark after he kills grendel by whalethow at the feast and then by hrothgar after he kills grendel's mother and and honestly by the poet throughout the whole first part of the poem he is supposed to be king. Right. And when he returns home to Yetland, he's eventually offered the crown by Queen Hugd after Helec dies on the Frisian raid. Because, as she rightly points out, her son is too young to bear the weight of the crown. Right. And yet Beowulf rejects the offer, choosing instead to serve as protector and maintain right. his status as a warrior hero. Mm-hmm. So all of this, I think, can, can help point us to the interior conflict of Beowulf in the poem. He's a man who should be a great king, but who only knows how to be a great hero. It's great stuff. Right. I almost think if we're going to do superhero analogies, 
uh, a character closer to uh, the Marvel Thor Iron Man um, would be interesting. Mm. Right. Thor in particular, right? A guy who is a god and knows it. Uh, right. And and is perfectly happy to kind of bend the world around him. May have to learn by the end of the, the film that that isn't the only way to exist in the world. But the original Beowulf does learn that. Yes. He just learns it way too late. Yeah. But I mean, that's what right. makes the poem work for me. Right. You know? Yeah. And we so see I think his world kind of crumbling around him. Yeah. But I think there's a story there where the first third or even half of the poem is, you know, Chris Hemsworth, essentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then the second half of the, the poem deals with the consequences of having lived a life like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which, in many ways, the original poem does do. Mm-hmm. And I, I think all of this is to say that modern films that treat a character like Beowulf are looking to humanize him in some way, mm-hmm. in, a, in ways that the poem itself doesn't do, especially in the first half right. of the poem, which is what the films are most interested in. They want the monster yes. fights, and they don't want the the political... Right, complicated uh, politics with Sweden, yeah. Yeah, which is, to me, a far more in many ways, a far more interesting part of the poem because it complicates the whole first half and shows us how to read it in a a new light. But Right. Andy, it's possible that we're not the demographic for these films. Yeah, I think that might be the case. Uh, I actually will say the film actually gets pretty meta at one point, uh, just long enough to take a cheap shot at the poem. Uh, Mac from Night Court says he's heard of Beowulf before. Mm. Uh, And when his friend Carl says, what have you heard? He says, "Uh, stories only an idiot would believe. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's uh, that's kind of like the Unferth thing, right? Like I heard mm-hmm. you know this thing about you, but you kind of suck, don't you? Right, yeah. right. Uh, but that 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 to me is a very uh, it's a nice wink at the audience, right? That, that that yeah, we know there's a Beowulf story out there. It's no in its own way, it's as unrealistic as this nonsense you're watching right now. Yeah. So you just know, just shut up and enjoy. You know what makes the original Beowulf story unbelievable is that. Beowulf really, to my memory of the poem, and I have read it many, many times, written mm-hmm. about it, taught it. Uh, I don't think he does any handsprings, backflips, front flips, <laughs> leap flips, whatever. <laughs> Not enough gymnastics Fair enough. in the original Beowulf. <laughs> so, <laughs> clearly it's um, I mean, wrestling, right? There's, I seem to recall a famous article about uh, the wrestling in Beowulf. Yes, yes. By J- uh, Jason uh, Eisler, I believe. By Jason um, Eisler, yes. Yes. Uh, um, now, another – so, like, uh, off of the, the topic of Beowulf as a character, let's switch over to mm-hmm. Grendel's mother because <laughs> there's a there's – a, I wouldn't have pinpointed it until watching this, this film because – when you watch a modern Beowulf film, and I'm thinking here of this one and Zemeckis, but it's not just those two, Grendel's mother is sexualized in a way that is obviously not present, or at least not present to me, in the poem. Yeah, yeah. So I made a Grendel's mom from? has got it going on joke during the summary, mm-hmm. and I I was I was kind of baiting it then. Yeah, this is uh, as far as I know. This is the origin of this motif of Grendel's mom as a sexualized being. Right. I, I, I can't think. I mean, can you think of any versions before this that do that? I mean, one of the reasons we chose this film to start Huata movie with is uh, because it's the first Beowulf movie that I know of. I know there's there's the Grendel, Grendel, Grendel this, cartoon. Right. But right. that's not. There's also Jack and the Witch, which is a 1960s Japanese animated film, which 
ostensibly is a retelling of Beowulf and sort of begins with a summary of Beowulf. I don't think it is. A I, I agree, of but it's it is officially uh, just canonically it, a Beowulf adaptation. Just because you read an article that mentions it doesn't mean that it is. <laughs> I literally read the Wikipedia page listing Beowulf movies. Well, you know what we say about Wikipedia because. Uh-huh. I looked into that as well, and Jack and yeah. the Witch, while it does yeah. reference Beowulf... Yeah, that's all it does. That's yeah. all it does. But, I mean, we could say that about other films that we are going to include on this list. Nah. Uh, which we'll get to eventually. Nah. I think uh, well, everything, the, everything we're... The 2007 sci-fi original movie, Grendel. Oh, well, I mean, that's... Comes to mind. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet, so I don't really know. Oh, my God. Uh, there, oh, you're in for a treat. Yeah, there are several things on our list that I have not seen. Right. right. Because I have uh, other things to do with my life. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty clear there's a lot going on in this film that reappears in other Beowulf films. Yeah. Uh, and we'll be seeing that as we go forward, right? There's a, it was good to start with this film. Yeah. But, okay, but I, I want you to put your, your scholar hat on for a okay. moment and explain... Or at least explore, we'll say. That's the word we mm-hmm. like. Explore mm-hmm. why she's sexualized in the way that she is in modern films. In the same way that, that Beowulf is given that kind of dark interiority, um, that, that dark center. She's turned right. into a sex pot who seduces Hrothgar more often than not. This is It's not just this film and the Zemeckis um, film Mm -hmm. where we're going to see a sexual relationship between Hrothgar and Grendel's mother that produces a child. That's in several films. Now, if I were putting on a scholar hat, which, you know, I don't actually have. I just have my sort of clown cap. um, It's you can either take this as uh, is this a reading of the poem or is this part of that 21st century or introspective Beowulf, right? the, the Beowulf who is vulnerable, who has weaknesses? Uh, if we're reading it from the poem's perspective, right, one of the, the readings of Grendel's mother that one can often do is sort of Freudian, right? that she, um, that she is a, uh, a dominant female figure. Uh, Beowulf, when he fights her, is literally unable to penetrate her with his sword, Yeah, uh, is thrown to the ground, and she then gets on top of him, straddles him, uh, and is on the verge of killing him, right? of penetrating him. Um, when he sort of grabs a larger sword from the wall, and with that larger sword is able to penetrate her, but does so at the cost of his sword softening and melting. Yeah. Um, right? And it's... You know, it has been pointed out by scholars who um, think about these things that Beowulf then never in the rest of the film, the rest of the poem uh, uh, expresses any interest in uh, women or in raising a family or in um, uh, sexual conquest of any kind. Well, nor did Um, he before that. I mean, it's just not part of his character. Correct. And actually, one of the things that this film does that I kind of like, there's a conversation at one point when Kyra is trying to draw Beowulf out at dinner. Uh, and asks him whether he has ever thought about having a family, right? Since that, she says that's a natural desire. And Beowulf responds, then I have no natural desires. Mm-hmm. Right? And that to me is a very interesting callback to the poem. Mm. Right? Because that's one of those undiscussed things in the poem that Beowulf does not behave normally, right? The, this, this is a poem that begins with an obsessive genealogy 
leading up to Hrothgar, making it clear that one of the responsibilities of a leader is to provide an heir. Uh, and Beowulf does not do that and expresses no interest in doing that. Right? He's, right. he's he's just not uh, moved by those motivations in the way that other men are. Yeah. Uh, this, so making Grendel's mother a sexualized being, could it play on those elements of the poem? Sure. On the other hand, yeah. one of the things that these modern films love to do is this idea of Hrothgar or Beowulf or both being somehow responsible for Grendel's existence. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not convinced that the Grendel's mother of the poem is meant to be sexualized at all, despite what some critics might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a monster that subverts the traditional female role almost entirely. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, I, I wonder how much the feminizing and sexualizing of Grendel's mother in modern film is really driven by the tastes of audiences and, and the formulas of contemporary narrative convention. Like, right. Until very recently, modern action films always feature hypersexualized partners and sometimes right. adversaries for the hero mm-hmm. because sexual desire is highlighted as the male weakness mm-hmm. in these films that can be exploited. Uh, yep. Well, apparently, right? I mean, um, not every film has it. Not every film has to have it. Uh, but certainly people who make films are preoccupied fil- with yeah. the storyline. But right. going back to the original poem, for me, there's no hint of it there at all. But it, it gets picked yeah. up in modern adaptations of the poem, perhaps because it's introduced in this mm-hmm. film and then other versions follow suit. But but also because it's an expectation of the audience. Right. right. And so you get to Angelina think- Jolie. Right, and I think what we see is that this is done well, uh, not in this film and not in the film that you just mentioned, the, the Zemeckis film. Uh, but we're gonna we're, there's a film we're gonna see later on where the idea of a um, a sexual relationship uh, involving a female figure and then resulting in Grendel uh, becomes a plot line, and I think it's handled fairly well. Yeah, I, I agree. This film. I suspect what went on here is that they found out they could get Layla Roberts and decided, well, we've already got an actress for the lead role. Why don't we do Sexy Grendel's Mom? I don't don't feel like there was a deeper logic behind this particular choice. Mm, That's interesting. But but I feel like – but you said put on your scholar hat. I think, you know, what do we do as scholars except – find significance where there may not be any. <laughs> yes, we're very good at that. I mean, it's one of the things that we like to do, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example, right? You said earlier that I was being obscure when I said that uh, the burning of Herod was uh, was obscure, right? That wasn't intentional. Try this one on for size. Um, Will, the apprentice, yeah. your favorite character, right? He nearly gets killed That's by strong, his but... uncle's paranoid friend, Carl, yeah. right? Remember, Carl is hiding behind a wall and nearly brains him with a mace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Will says, You know, Carl, with all the real cool ways to die around here, I'd rather not go by heart attack. It's a great, it's a great line. It's a funny line, but I want to make, I want to believe this is an intentional joke. What is the name of Hrothgar's hall? Herot. Herot, which means? Deer. Heart. Um, heart as in deer. Uh, so a heart attack... <laughs> Shut up, John. Could be a joke about not wanting to be killed by Grendel's assaults on Harrow. Shut up, John. <laughs> this nonsense. This is what we do. 
you are the kind with that kind of thinking. You are the kind of scholar that Chaucer was making fun of. Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I really want to believe that that's true. I know it's not, but I really want to believe that somebody was thinking that deeply yeah. when they were making this ridiculous film. All right. Well, on that note, let's switch to something uh, a little less academic in nature, shall we? <laughs> let's do it. Questions. If a man fights a creature of evil, then he cannot be evil himself, can he? In this section, we're going to just do kind of a more rapid fire, right, back and forth, right? Uh, ask each other questions and provide very simple, very straightforward answers, unadorned by the usual nonsense that we like to throw in. Mm-hmm. Andy, do you want to start or should I? Uh, no, why don't you start? All right. Here's one. Uh, Beowulf has a seemingly endless supply of nonsense weapons in this film. Yes, he does. What is the best, most ridiculous weapon in this film? We- overall weapons, not just Beowulf's. Correct. Because I'm going to tell you, I do not like his sword with the mm-hmm. handle on it. <laughs> Whatever that is. Um, yep. Also, my my son, who is uh, he, you know, he's on a little fencing group here in in Oxford, and uh, he was watching the end of the film with me, and he's watching Beowulf mm-hmm. wield his crappy sword, and he's like, <laughs> he's so slow. Why is he so slow? Yeah, yeah. So not any of Beowulf. Beowulf has his reloading. And I'm going to remind you that the point here is quick, snappy answers. Well, this is me uh, vamping <laughs> as I think in my in my head as you think about <laughs> well, the answer. Yeah. The answer might. Well, be. I can tell you my answer while you're waiting. I have an answer. Um, okay, it's it's the razor guillotine. You like that? It, it's, <laughs> the giant, the giant safety razor. It's so over the top, uh, so pointless that it. That's that's oh what I'm going to carry with me. I also sure. say maybe Hrothgar's um, giant giant uh, saw sword. Oh yes, yeah, his chainsaw sword that doesn't actually move. Right. Uh, but this is not a fair question because all of the weapons are ridiculous and impractical. <laughs> I, I'm actually also going to go for something from that first battle around the guillotine. Okay. Uh, Beowulf, during that battle, whips out a stick. He presses a button on that stick, and a blade comes out of one end, and three mace right. balls on chains covered in sharp edges yes. drop out of the other end. Andy, there is no way to wield this thing without julienning your own arm and torso. <laughs> It has got blades in every possible direction. I forgot about that one. And you swing this thing around. It's nonsense. And it gets this real close-up moment yes, where he does. drops the, the chain ball. It's a big reveal. And clearly, we're meant to think this is a real badass move. Uh, and it's the most nonsense weapon I think I've seen in a film in a long, oh, long man, time. I'm with you. I, I totally forgot about that one. Had I known your question ahead of time and thought about it, that would have <laughs> been, been the one. That's a really um, good one. Can I give you another quick one? Uh, no, it's my turn. All right, carry on. Okay. I think we've already talked about Roland. Okay. So we'll put put him aside. Uh, We've already got your opinion on that. But which actors or which which one (laughs) do you think actually did a great job in this movie? Uh, See, now this is going to sound like I'm just, you know, being silly and I'm not. Uh, Layla Roberts, who plays Grendel's mother. uh, I think she does everything she can with that character and reads the lines with conviction. I mean, unlike many of the actors in this film, 
I believe that her character means what she's saying. Yeah. She actually... Uh, and I often do not feel that way about actors in this film. You know, putting aside all the nose licking and the stilted delivery of her lines, uh, she does chew up the scenery. Yep. She's she's playing the villain and enjoying it. Compa- especially compared to who's around her. Yeah. Doing, doing a nice job. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, interesting fact about Layla Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, according to my research... She uh, briefly dated Tom Brady. Yes. Yes. I think I read that somewhere. So there you go. Interesting connection. But honestly, who among us hasn't? Well, yes. But uh, but there you go. Again, very, very brief research. I know John's researched her mm-hmm. far more extensively than I have based on our earlier conversation. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm also going to just throw in Mac from Night Court. Always a delight to see him in a movie. I mean, he didn't really uh, have Charles an opportunity. Charles Robinson is the actor's name. He didn't have an opportunity to do anything. I know, but still, you know, he has like three lines in this movie and they're fun. They're, you know, whenever he speaks, I'm like, oh, good. It's Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he dies. And as much as I love Will, uh, you know, it just doesn't quite work. Yeah. You know. Um, Andy, uh, on a scale of one to five Lamberts, <laughs> uh, <laughs> with with one Lambert being his performance as Tarzan and Greystoke. Three being, say, Connor McLeod in Highlander, and five being Raiden in Mortal Kombat. How Lamberty a performance would you say we're getting here? Um, that's a ridiculous scale. Um, <laughs> I've only seen one of the movies on that list. Uh-huh. Uh, which is this one. Or no, I mean uh, Highlander. Um, uh-huh. you, you've never seen Greystoke? No, and I've never seen oh, Mortal wow. Kombat either. Sorry. Actually, you know what? I've seen all three of these. I'm sure you have. There, there's no doubt. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. Given but your there you love go. Of, of bad movies. Um, uh, I think this is as it, it's a very Lamberty performance. But to me, it's mm-hmm. it's not terribly different from Highlander. Right. So I'm going to go with a, a three. Three point five. I, I don't know what he does in Mortal Kombat. So it's not really fair. That's true. I'm assuming he's more emotive. Um, Slightly. Okay, then he's it's there. Subtle nuance is the name of the game when it comes well, to. Well, there's none of that here, for Lambert, except for at the <laughs> end when it's it's this dramatic moment when he's uh, he and Kyra are deciding what's going to happen next as they're on their horses mm-hmm. outside of a burning hayrod, and she's mm-hmm. she's kind of flirting with him, but his smile just doesn't fit the scene. Yeah, at, at all. Yeah, it's almost like this is the final scene, and that's why he's smiling. <laughs> He's just thinking about that flight home. <laughs> Another tin of soup is what he's thinking of. Um, yeah, what so, was the Jeremy Irons quote about the Dungeons Dragons movie? What's that? Uh, that that um, people you know will sort of mock him for being in that movie, and he just says, "I bought a very nice house." Yes, <laughs> right. Well, uh, John, you mentioned, and I feel that, like that's that Christopher Lambert must be thinking about the 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 condo he's going to buy with the proceeds. Yeah, this is the, the second time you've mentioned the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Did you know? Did yep. you look up either the director or one of the writers also worked mm-hmm. on that movie? Uh, yeah, one of the, the co-writer of this film was a uh, producer That's for the Dungeons and Dragons movie that came out the following year. Yeah, uh, which has a lot in common with this film, actually, in terms it's, of its, it's badness. Sort of, uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of its kind of its its logic, it's kind of where its head is at when it comes to presenting fantasy. Yeah, yeah. They actually, in some ways, very similar films. He did not write Dungeons and Dragons; he was merely a producer. But still, you know, there's an influence there. Yeah. Okay, um, I have one yeah. uh, one more question for you. Okay, I have a couple more for you, but go A couple ahead. more, wow. Um, 
John, how much did Robert Zemeckis steal from this movie? Because I, I noticed <laughs> a lot of parallels. A lot of same, oh, boy. same visuals, same, like, oh. a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, without spoiling our eventual episode on that film, um, most uh, – <laughs> The the tr- the plot treatment is just remarkably similar. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know I can tell you in advance the writers of that film, the Zemeckis film. Zemeckis didn't write it. Do you know who wrote that film? No, who wrote it? Roger Avery, who is not a name you might know, but his co-writer was Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I know who that is. Uh, and that it is pretty clear that their treatment for this is built heavily off of this film. Yeah. There are so many choices that are not obvious choices. that are not choices based in the poem that can only have come from having watched this film. I agree. Uh, you know, everything from Grendel being the offspring of Grendel's mother and Hrothgar uh, to the sexy Grendel's mother uh, motif mm-hmm. to the self-doubting Beowulf being in love with a member of Hrothgar's family. Yeah. Uh, there's so many, I mean, and we can just keep going, but there's so many elements of it. Even some of the are, visuals to me, yes. like they, they, they are looking at some of the scenes in this film and they like, I can mm-hmm. see how that could be cool. Let's, let's zhuzh it up a little bit. Right. Uh, and by zhuzh, we mean provide weird rotoscoped animation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's, it's a little bit embarrassing how much, that film owes to this one. But the nice thing for considering them, that no one should have been imitating this film but the nice for thing any for reason them whatsoever. Is they know that no one else has seen that film. Right. Therefore they're I'm actually really curious to know how many people have actually seen this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well I mean it there it, it there are reviews on IMDB and on Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes by viewers. Uh so yep. people have seen it. Just nearly a quarter of whom enjoyed it. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. So what do you got for me? Uh, what what else? Andy if I forced you to admit that this movie improves on the poem in oh, some way. Oh, that's rude. What is it? Improves on the poem. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's not fair. <laughs> I think, well, uh, Will is an obvious answer. You know, <laughs> the addition of Will really, <laughs> really breathes some life into hair up for me. Absolutely. Really loosens things up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it does. Okay. I, I think there's there's two things that I would point to. One mm-hmm. is the expansion of Unferth's character in the creation mm-hmm. of Roland. I like that Roland got, yes. got some room to breathe. So that's, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, I think, for a modern audience, in terms of improving on the poem, uh, Beowulf is in some ways more intriguing as a complex hero. Do I like the particular choices that they made here for Beowulf? <laughs> No, <laughs> but it opens the door for exploring mm. a more complicated Beowulf than what we typically see in the poem, or at least the part mm-hmm. of the poem that most people have read. Because most who have read it, undergraduates who have been assigned to read all of it, typically don't read the part that I'm most interested mm-hmm. in. Even when I tell them to, I know that they don't. I like it. Uh, by the way, my answer would have been that it removes the Finsborough digression. Oh, you son of a bitch. That's so interesting. <laughs> well, that's why I would say it, because I knew it would annoy you. <laughs> oh, it, it's it's, par- it's part of the structure. It's not true, oh. folks. I don't really believe that. 
such uh, an important. How are you going to set up? I'm just the I'm Grendel's just frustrating Mother Andy. section without that sequence. Well, oh come on! I I know you're looking forward to the one version of Beowulf on film that actually preserves that fragment. Mm. Uh, last question, Andy. If you had to use a clip from this movie as part of a lecture on Beowulf, <laughs> what scene would you use? Oh, that's really not fair either. Um, <laughs> one shouldn't show this film to a class. Um, but I would. I'm not sure I agree. There are a couple of clips. You know what clip you have to show your students if you want to get them like you know buying in. You show them yep. the transformation of Grendel's mother. <laughs> Come, child. Sample the true delights of flesh with me. Feel what no human woman can offer you. You know, I think that's pretty pretty good. I think actually that if you showed that last scene where she's mm-hmm. revealing everything to Hrothgar, um, right. which adds some complications, and then that mm-hmm. transformation as a nice uh, a nice exclamation point right, as a little kicker, yeah, yeah. Um, I think you can talk about what we can do. Uh, with literary characters and how you can adapt the same story into for new purposes. Mm-hmm. And the students wouldn't have any idea that they didn't really do that at all in this film. But <laughs> <laughs> but th- th- there's a lot of good potential for the story, which I think uh, like Beowulf and Grendel, that film picks mm-hmm. up some of these ideas a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, excellent. All right. Good. What about you? What, do, what are you uh, going to show? Oh, boy. Uh, see, I didn't come up with an answer for this one. Well, uh, how dare you? Let me let me think about this for a second. You know what? I think uh, I'm going to cop out, and my answer would have to be uh, the initial attack by Grendel, mm-hmm. uh, because I think they actually do a fairly good job of showing the dread, uh, but also showing that the survivors are the ones who essentially hide behind Hrothgar. Uh, that what we see is that the heroes who rush in and all think they're going to be the one to take out Grendel end up being so much sort of decoration on the walls. Yeah. Uh, and it's the it's the guys like uh, Roland slash Unferth and Ashera slash Mac from Nightcourt uh, <laughs> who are sort of smart enough to, you know, to let the dumber ones rush in. Uh, and so they survive. Right? And one of the things that I talked to my students about is that you, know, you have to understand that when Beowulf arrives, everybody in that court are the people who have found somewhere else to be at night for 12 years. Right, that every time somebody is looking for a hero to take out Grendel, these guys have found a way to be hiding behind the door. Mm-hmm. It's the only way they've survived. And I, I, I like the fact that we see a lot of people murdered, but everybody who's standing behind Hrothgar survives. Okay. Um, sure. I, I think the discussion of, of Beowulf there is appropriate. I don't believe that you would show that scene. You're lying. <laughs> you would never. Well, if I had to. Yeah. If oh, I had okay. to. Because I was like, are you really going to take class time to to load that up and then sh- and then show it? No, I don't think so. Absolutely not. Let's switch to our our ratings, John. Mm-hmm. Bring this home. Ooh, ratings. No sane man would come here to face this thing. I have no choice. Mm. 
Now, as we said earlier, John and I have been watching Beowulf movies for a long time. Mm -hmm. And though we mostly end up laughing at them and shaking our heads, we don't necessarily think any one of them is wholly without value. (laughs) And that's why we have to have some consistency in our ratings categories, at least across our Beowulf series of what a movie. Mm -hmm. Now, we've got four categories that we've agreed to judge. These include Beowulf, Grendel, Satisfaction, and Accuracy. Now, I know John had some trouble understanding these categories when I explained them to him, so really? let me try it out here just one more time, uh, a little more succinctly. <laughs> We're going to rate each Beowulf or Beowulf type that we encounter in these films to determine which modern version of the Beowulf character we like the best. Yes. And then in the Grendel category, we're going to do the same thing for Beowulf's adversary. So in the end, after we've watched all of the movies, we should have a good sense of which Beowulf and which Grendel we liked the best Mm -hmm. and which ones we really didn't care for. Right. Now, our third category is controversially called satisfaction. (laughs) This is the category where we put aside our professional opinions. We remove our professor's caps and we simply admit whether Um, we like the film or not. But satisfaction just sounds like... You know, is this a meal you enjoyed? Is this like you yes, know, that's are you correct. Ready to light a cigarette after this film? And it's just I don't. That's what I'm. That's what I'm asking, though. Oh, like, okay. In other words, how much personal satisfaction did you get out of the Beowulf movie that you just watched? Even though objectively, I think we can all agree it probably wasn't very good. All right, then that's fine. Then. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page now. <laughs> and then finally, we consider the film as a modern adaptation of the original text, as we put the film up against are many, many years of studying Mm -hmm. and teaching Beowulf to give it an accuracy rating. All right. So, with that explanation out of the way, Uh, are you ready to rate Beowulf 1999, John? Absolutely I am at this point, yes. You know what? I'm going to say we just need to stand by our numbers. Not a lot of justification. We're not going to spend a whole bunch of time explaining ourselves. Okay. Just going to answer the question. Okay, then. Uh, John, Christopher Lambert as Beowulf. The Beowulf of Beowulf. (laughs) 1999. Mm. Okay, I, I'm i going to give you some context. I'm not going to justify it. I just, um, oh, okay. Okay. Semantics. <laughs> you son of a bitch, you literally just said uh, you're not going to do this. That's why I said context. And then, uh, I think this is a bad performance. And I've enjoyed Christopher Lambert and things. But I think this is a bad performance. I think it's an understated performance at a time in a movie where understated does not work. Um, uh, I think, you know, chewing, you said chewing scenery, right? Layla Roberts is chewing up the place. I feel like you're justifying an answer. Uh, and so I'm going to say, I got to go below, I got below 50% here. But I do enjoy Christopher Lambert. So I'm going to give it a four. A four. But it's, but it's really more about Christopher Lambert than it is about Beowulf. It says a lot about you <laughs> that you gave this version of Beowulf a it four. Does. Well, I'm a generous guy. Look, what are you I'm going to be generous. I'm being very okay. generous. Yep. This version of Beowulf, and I'm not really thinking of Christopher Lambert at all, and I'm trying... Yes, yeah, this is the problem right here. I, I'm thinking about the actor. You're thinking about the I'm trying to... I, I'm divorcing the, the actor from the role, mm-hmm. and I am also mm-hmm. divorcing my sense... And this is, this is somewhat unfair... I don't think it's a great performance either, but I think I understand what the performance is supposed to be in connection with what the character is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I'm giving him yep. way more credit than I should for being so understated okay. and emotionless and mm-hmm. boring. He's a boring Beowulf. Mm-hmm. I want to give it a one, but it's a three <laughs> because yep. of what it 
establishes for a kind of Beowulf character. Right. That's all. It's a three. Yeah, I think this is a good baseline. Yeah. So that's a that's a combined seven. Yeah. I don't know if it's, uh, for yeah. quality of Beowulf. Okay. All right. Then, uh, so Andy, uh, what do you think about Grendel? Well, Grendel. I mean, Grendel in many ways is the benchmark of what makes a Beowulf story or film because he's the monster, <laughs> right? And it, this movie's in trouble, isn't it? <laughs> uh, a derivative. <laughs> it's it is the predator. I get what they're going for. Um, mm-hmm. I am not interested in this Grendel at all. Yeah, I don't like him. Yeah. I don't think he's. I don't think he looks good. I don't think his his characterization is interesting in any way. Um, it. This is a pretty low Grendel for me uh, too. I actually think even that might be generous. <laughs> I yeah, there's got there's got to be um, worse Grendels. It's either I will say it's it's either a one or about a nine for me, and it depends on whether I buy into the idea that they're doing what the poem does, which is to treat Grendel as the sort of ill-defined, terrifying thing, partly because you don't understand it very well. Yeah, and this film does a very good job of not letting me understand Grendel very well. But I think it's a. It, I don't think that's a deliberate choice. I think that's a combination of incompetence and a misplaced desire to produce a predator Grendel. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say one. This is a bad Grendel. Bad Grendel. Not good. Um, all right. So satisfaction, John. And this is the part I basically invented this category for us to mm-hmm. do uh, before even consulting with you whether we would do this or not. Because I want mm-hmm. your honest answer about how much you actually enjoy this film. Oh, you don't though, Andy. You don't. I you really I'm don't. I'm really curious. And and ultimately problem, what yeah. we'll get at the end of this series on mm-hmm. Beowulf is a sense of mm-hmm. okay, we've got a bunch of pretty bad movies, but did you really like mm-hmm. any of them? Cuz I think I think John did. I think John does. Oh. Now this is a little bit of a background here. Andy knows that I have a complete collection of all these films. Uh, I own every filmed version of Beowulf that there that has been made. Uh, I enjoy them all for what they are. Uh, so I, I have to adjust slightly because I enjoy them all. Well, that's the that's what we're because looking for. Well, and I'm but I'm also the kind of person who has you know gone has watched the entire run of Mr. Science Theater. At least half a dozen times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I really get a kick out of bad movies if they're the right kind of bad movie. This is the right kind of bad movie. Uh, it is silly. The it's constantly surprising you, which is not the same thing as delighting you. <laughs> but you know, things like the PA system appearing in the middle of the film. Uh, you know, the the constant weird decisions about how weapons work and how uh fights work uh the strange editing choices as out uh, of place as will feels he mm-hmm. does provide some genuine chuckles yes you know? uh and you know the 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 background of the film the sort of combination of you know uh pipes and electrical machines and gas powered sconces and medieval weapons, uh, it's it's candy for me as somebody who enjoys bad movies. Yeah. So, satisfaction as a film, 
Uh, I'm going to say seven. Seven. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you say that. For me, I similarly, I feel like, I, and I enjoy the occasional bad movie. And this is, this is great. For all the reasons you said, <laughs> it fits that bill. I also grew up watching Mystery Science Theater 3000. Love that stuff. This is a great film for those reasons alone. But it's also <laughs> just kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not really awful. If you like a good B movie, this is a fun one to watch. So for me, this one, I feel like I I feel comfortable saying it's at least a five or a six. If I got to commit, oh man, if I got to commit, I guess it's a five. I kind of wow, want to say okay. six because, right, no, you know, but it's a five if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to seek it out. Well, all right. So. If that's if that's your sort of level, you're right at the middle for this as a film. What do you think about it as a Beowulf adaptation? Yeah. What do you think about the accuracy of this? Oh well (laughs) accuracy. I mean, it depends on what you're looking for in accuracy. And this is where I think Mm -hmm. we can interpret this however you want. We do need to kind of interpret this category. Mm -hmm. In terms of representing some of the themes of the poem. Um, and not just being like a verbatim retelling of the poem, because uh, that's not what I'm looking for necessarily, though I would love right. a really good, honest retelling of, of Beowulf, because that has not been mm-hmm. done. Um, I think this one's probably a four. Hmm. It introduces some interesting elements. It knows the poem. That's what I like. It does know the poem. Yep. In some yep. ways, this... Knows the poem better than some of the other films that we're going to talk about, even though it's it's <laughs> yes. it's ensconced in this nonsense, you know, all the time. But it does know this poem, at least yeah. that first part. So a four, I think, is fair. All right, uh, I'm I'm a little bit less generous about this, uh, only because uh, I think ultimately this film is a monument to someone who gave up. <laughs> That's a little harsh. I think ultimately this – well, I mean the fact that this movie's budget was slashed by 90% is also suggestive. Uh, this is not a film made by people who remained true to a vision of telling a specific story. It's – I think there are people on the film who worked very hard. Again, the, the visual design is really interesting at times. On the other hand, very boring to look at in terms of color. Uh and in terms of fidelity to Beowulf, right? Would I, the way I'm interpreting this is that uh, if I had to pick a Beowulf movie to show my students and say, see how it's who they did here, would I choose this one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. I feel like it, it maintains the contours, it develops some interesting parallels. But ultimately, I'm, I don't think there are going to be many films where I can go real high on this because they almost always cut out most of the poem. Well, again, if yes, I, I, I'm with you on that. But again, if you're, if you're going to be looking for uh, Beowulf in Sweden, you ain't going to find mm-hmm. it anywhere. So if you're going to keep everyone under four because of that. Fair enough. No, 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 no. That's not fair. Uh, adjusting for that, yeah. I still give this a three. <laughs> yeah, I think the only reason I moved it to four out of three is mm-hmm. we're justifying. So we've, we've broken all the rules that you established at the very beginning. The only reason that I would give it a four well, All the rules? Three, I only established one. The only reason that I would give it a four it instead of a three up. is because 
it does establish some of the tropes. Mm-hmm. It, it adapts themes in interesting ways from the poem into the modern mm-hmm. era that then the other films pick up. And so I think that's worth talking about. And it's a way of it's a way of entering the poem um, that can be valuable. Now, would I show this film to students? No, uh, <laughs> I, I would say you should see this. It's pretty wild. Uh, right. If you got a rainy day. Yeah, but I'm not showing it. Right. Um, all right. All right. I think we've uh, squeezed the stone just about dry, Andy. I don't know. There's a lot more damage we could do. Uh, this, this has been what a movie, and we're, uh, we're looking forward to sharing it with you and learning whether this was all a terrible mistake. Yeah, well, I'm choosing to be optimistic, but uh, hey, let us know what you think about this. I really am honestly curious about how many people have actually seen this movie. Yeah. Uh, how do the nice people get in touch with us, Andy? Well, uh, they can reach out to us on uh, Facebook or Instagram at Saga Thing Podcast. Uh, or you can go to X where we are, Saga Thing Pod. You can oh, reach out to us. don't call it X. Don't, don't. That's what it buy is. Into that nonsense. What you want me to do. It's All the right. rebranding. Carry you know? on. Uh, so on X, we are Saga Thing Pod, much to John's chagrin. Uh, we are also on Discord, where we'll put a we'll put a link, an invite link for Saga mm-hmm. Thing Podcast Discord uh, in the uh, show notes here. And We're for the to establish time, a specific channel for this, yeah, yeah, we will. And for the for the time being, we're gonna keep Huata Movie um, right in the Saga Thing wheelhouse. And if it, uh, you know, if it if we really enjoy what we're doing, we might turn it into its own podcast. But uh, <laughs> that's for a future decision. Right now, it's just right. under the Saga right. Thing umbrella. Hey, and if you get a chance, uh, maybe put a review somewhere on the interwebs. But, uh, you know, we can't force you. Uh, But yes, uh, we don't advertise any of this. So word of mouth or whatever orifice the internet comes out of, that's our only way of bringing in new listeners. Right. And uh, like I said, we'll be back with another one of these uh, Huata movies whenever we have a a night free from all the stuff that we're doing outside of podcasting. what What are we doing next time? Well, John, we have made a list, and it turns out this wasn't the only Beowulf adaptation made in 1999. That does not seem like a thing that could be true. Ah, but it is. Uh, All right. We'll be back soon with, apparently, another Beowulf movie. Until then, go watch Space Beowulf. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Oh, Galaxy Quest came out in 1992. <laughs> okay. We're finished here. Break it all down. We're moving out. <laughs>